The Sports Career Podcast, episode 250, the do's and don'ts in sports sponsorship. Hello Sports Achiever and welcome to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers and I'm super pumped today. Cannot believe we've hit this milestone episode 250. Really grateful for all the podcast special guests, you as the listener. And I do have one little favour. I don't ask this a lot because I want this always to be the best experience for you. But I'd be super grateful if you could rate the show, subscribe to the show and leave an honest review with regards to your experience, particularly if a podcast episode has supported your sports career development. I'll be super grateful, and thank you again for listening to the show. Now, as always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sponsorship. I hope today's episode can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Kim Skildrum-Reed. Kim is an author, a corporate sponsorship expert, and the founder of Power Sponsorship. Kim has over 30 years of experience working in the sponsorship sector, and for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have her on the podcast show, particularly for episode 250. That's when today's episode, Kim will share her sponsorship career journey and explain to you the do's and don'ts when working in sports sponsorship. Kim, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please, could you share your sponsorship career journey? When did it all start? Well, it started after university, but I didn't study marketing or sponsorship or anything like that. I was studying something totally, entirely different. And I realized that I, number one, I really didn't like university. Like I wasn't one of those people that just loves academia And two, that what I was studying was going to require me to go to university till I had a PhD, do a postdoc, and then work for a university for the rest of my life in physics and theoretical physics. So I thought, I've got to get out of here, which I did. And I stumbled into my very first job in sponsorship because basically I, I, um, I did that sort of assessment and went, okay, what do I love? And I love sports. I mean, I loved sports. I went to a lot of sports. I played a lot of sports. And, uh, and then what am I good at? And I thought, well, you know, I did a lot of marketing for my family's business all the way through when I was in high school and into uni and stuff. And I seem to have a bit of a knack for that. Gee, I wonder if there are jobs in sports marketing. (laughs) And I I had no idea that it was this, you know, on a cusp of exploding back then. (laughs) And, uh, and I got, I beat 400 people to my first job. I don't know if that's real or not. That was the number they gave me because I turned up and it was a startup and the three partners, I was the first employee, the three partners were on sitting on the ground on the floor, getting a huge FedEx out of like all their new collateral material. And I did my interview helping them sitting on the ground. <laughs> and so that was my break. <laughs> I found this really interesting. I've got to go back in time 
really quickly. And I know you said you weren't found at university from an academic standpoint and you wanted to apply the life skills into a career. But really quickly, during your time when you're working with your like business of marketing, my question is how important is it for students to take action with regards to exploring their skill sets during their time at university, figuring out what they want to do next after they leave, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, look, um, I think that, that the best thing that you can do when you're at university is to actually really jump into the, the actual career or, or dip into the various aspects of the careers that you can um, while you're doing uni. So you kind of know what direction to go in because what you learn about sponsorship at a lot of unis, and I, I'm not going to say it's all unis, but a lot of unis, it's really way, way, way behind the times. Like it's really not going to help you. I mean, and, and so, you know, if you go into sports marketing or you go into um, sponsorship thinking, oh, this is going to be this glamorous career. I'm going to be running around in stadiums and meeting superstars and stuff like that. Um, but then you come out of it with skills that are, you know, 15 years out of date, or you really kind of don't understand that real cutting edge stuff, you're going to be at a, an extreme deficit when it comes to getting your first job. And with regards to your first job, moving forward, because I've seen your fantastic blog, and we will talk about it in more detail, you've got over 25 years of experience in this sector. I got over 30 years of experience, babe. Okay, 30 years, even better. <laughs> like, from your first job, 30 years on, what have you learned from that experience in the sponsorship world? Really what I've, I've just come to absolutely love and, and something that I grabbed onto earlier than most of the uh, industry did. I mean, there was, I'm not saying I was the only one, there was lots of people that were grabbing onto it, but um, something that I realized fairly early on was that everything is about the fan. And, and I would tell any sort of hopeful sponsorship or sports marketing people out there, you know, you, you're going to get a lot of privileges when you're in this business. You get tickets to things that nobody else gets tickets to. I've been to four Super Bowls. I've been in the pits at the Indy 500. You know, I've been, I've been to freaking everything. I've been to everything. <laughs> and, that is, and that is really wonderful and a super ultra privilege, right? But a lot of people in sponsorship get really jaded. You know, the only experience as a fan they have is from a skybox with an expensive drink in their hand. And, and that, they lose touch and an understanding of what the fan experience is. And everything in sponsorship is about the fan and the fan experience and the relevance and the passion and the meaning around that. So if you get to a point where, you know, you're starting to get invited to the good seats and so you're spending your time in skyboxes and all of that kind of stuff, look, dip in and out of that, but never, ever, ever eschew sitting with the punters and bloody having a beer and yelling your guts out and, and doing all of that and just being a normal person. Because if you don't understand that, you can't do sponsorship well, you just can't. Is this with regards to, like, like you said, thinking about the fans, with regards to associate the brand with the fans doing it the right way? Is that what you're saying from an authentic standpoint of sponsorship? Yeah. Look, the, the whole thing is that, and I, I tell rights holders this all the time, so the sporting organizations, the festivals, the charities, or whatever. And, and the biggest thing that I need to get through their heads 
is that they just need to bloody get over themselves because it's not about them. Nobody wants to align with them. It's not about them. I don't even care if they are Manchester United. The sponsors aren't doing it because of Manchester United. The sponsors are doing it because of the 1.1 billion fans that love them. It's about the fans. And in fact, when I work for corporate sponsors and I work for a lot of them, the, the mantra that I give them is don't sponsor the property, sponsor the fans. So of course you're sponsoring the property, you're paying the money, you've got a contract, you know, you get the benefits and all this kind of stuff. The mindset is you're not trying to make yourself connected to and ubiquitous with the property. You know, it isn't like, you know, if, if we sponsor Man U and 1 billion people love Man U, then those 1 billion people are going to transfer some of that love onto us. And that just doesn't happen. There's no evidence, no research that says people transfer their love just because you're there. And so if instead you think there's 1 billion fans out there that love Man U, what can we do to enhance their fan experience? What can we do to show that we love Man U as much as they do? What can we do to align with them and amplify them and, and fix some of the things that are maybe not so great about the fan experience, like 1 billion people don't fit in the stadium. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, um, so it really is, you know, if you're in the sponsorship industry to understand that the fundamental basic building block is that the most important um, relationship in sponsorship is between the sponsor and the fans. And the rights holder, where a lot of these sports management people are gonna end up working for a rights holder, they're just a conduit. They bring the meaning, the authenticity, and all of that. So they're absolutely indispensable, but it isn't about them. Awesome, I hope people are enjoying this conversation. Just from a career skill set perspective, I love the example you said about mm -hmm. Manchester United, but for people listening again, Great, Kim, you, you shared the right way to do sponsorship, but what skill sets do I need to pursue a career in this industry? What would they be relating to your 30 years of experience? You mean how would they get their first job? Yeah, exactly. Like what has helped you from a skill set, communication, networking, stuff like that, that have created a longevity of a career in this sector, if that makes sense. The networking is important and um, you have to just be ruthlessly good at it. You just have to absolutely do the work to stay on the edge. Um, in terms of getting your first job, this is a really hard interest industry to crack. It really is. There are a lot of people that want this job because wow, don't you get bloody good perks. Um, but the thing is, in order to get this job, you have to have good skills. You need to be on top of the trends. You need to read the white papers and follow the blogs and do the tutorials and all of those kind of stuff. So your skills are top notch. And then you need to be ready to eat shit for two years for almost no money while you're trying to crack into this business. You need to take only job that you get. Like if it's a receptionist, bloody just take it because <laughs> and prove what you can do. <laughs> You know, because it is that hard to crack. So, you know, you want to be as good as you possibly can, but you have to be really, really humble and just take whatever scrap you get thrown and make something out of it. So relating to your experience in your first job, just getting your foot in the door compared to the other 400 people made a huge difference with regards to your career looking back, just to clarify. Correct. Because I wasn't put off by helping them out when they needed, a, needed to get a FedEx out before the driver turned up. And, and I was... Um, 
the only employee of three partners. And so I was the receptionist and I typed everything because they couldn't type. And, uh, and I ended up being a project manager. And then I ended up being going, you know, working long hours all week and then flying out to some professional sports thing on the weekend and working there all weekend and then flying back Sunday uh, night. And then 7 a.m. Monday morning, we had a staff, staff meeting. And so, you know, and it was great. <laughs> I was exhausted. My laundry was always dirty, but it was great. <laughs> and, and, but you just have to be willing to do anything to crack it and then prove yourself. Awesome. There's one question I do want to look into now. And you've, again, you've sort of jumped the gun with that Manchester United example, but just for my listeners, is there a difference between sports sponsorship and sponsorship? Just out of interest. No, not at all. I mean, best practice sponsorship is exactly the same structure and exactly the same approach, no matter what kind of sponsorship you're doing. So, you know, sports sponsorship is, is sort of the biggest, most glamorous in general. And, and it, uh, but, and so a lot of the people that listen to your podcast might be aiming toward that. But, but the way that sponsorship is done is this exactly the same in charities. It's exactly the same in festivals or museums or what have you, because all of those things also have fans. I mean, fans isn't just a sports thing. Fans is the generic term for anybody that cares about the rights holder and the property. So, so if you just continue to think about you know, it's about the fan experience. It's about, you know, amplifying the good stuff and ameliorating the bad stuff and aligning with people and deepening the engagement and all of that kind of stuff. It's exactly the same. The same skills apply. And so that's the other thing is that if you've got somebody that's, you know, dead set on, on getting out of uni and getting a job in sports and they get offered a job at some big festival, take it, take it. Because, because the, the skills are every bit as transferable, you know, it's like rather than continuing to knock on, on doors at sports and get knocked back, it's not you, it's the fact that so many people want the job. So sometimes the easier way to do it is to take a little detour over to the side and then get back into sports after that. Amazing. I hope the listeners are taking notes. Kim, thank you so much for sharing that piece. And it really works well with regards to today's podcast topic, which relates to a blog post, which we're going to talk in a lot more detail to because I love your blog to bits. But here's the question. How can sponsors set themselves apart with creative leverage? Okay, so so essentially, the way that I do it with my clients is is that we apply design thinking and that's and it basically is about really taking apart the fan experience and, and like doing this kind of two-part brainstorm. And the first part is about, okay, what are the best things about this event or this, uh, this sport or the team or whatever the experience is? What are the best things? What are the worst things about it? You know, are there any best and worst things? If you talk about remote fans, which are all those legions of people that may never rock up to the uh, in-person, but still care and are still completely leverageable for sponsors. So, um, you know, what if they're remote fans? What are the best and worst things about their experience? Like if you gave, you know, a fan, um, you know, if this, of the segments of the fans, you know, you got your true believers, you've got your tribals, you got your socials and all that. If you gave the socials a wand, what would they want if they could have anything and it doesn't have to be 
you know, realistic? Or if you gave the tribals a magic wand, what would they want? And so you really get into the mindset of why somebody cares, what are the, what's the experience like for them, what are their frustrations and all of that stuff. So you develop empathy and that's the first step of design thinking is empathy. And then you back up and you go, okay, so if we could do anything and we could have any benefits we want from the rights holder. So like, let's just assume that if we have a good enough idea that's good for everybody, then we'll be able to renegotiate these benefits. So we can have any benefits we want from the rights holders and, um, and we can do anything we want with this. What would we do to make that good stuff better? Even like amplify it, amplify the experience, make it last longer, make there be memories, make there be contributions. Could we crowdsource? Could we, what could we do with this? Um, you know, to make people feel like they're more a part of it or that it's bigger. And how can we fix some of the worst things? I mean, you know, like literally it's sort of like, you know, Portaloos, Portaloos, everybody hates them. What can we do for our bank customers? Well, if they flash their card, they can go to the VIP Portaloos, you know, <laughs> it's like, you know, or, or park closer or whatever. So, and, and then think about that magic wand thing. Can we get them what they want? Or if we can't, can we get them that one step closer? And I've, I've got a client that did some of the most amazing things you could ever believe with the All Blacks in New Zealand. Um, with using the, we use the magic wand um, uh, technique with that. And, uh, and then you think, okay, well, you know, in terms of sponsor generated contact, content, whose stories could we tell or who could we champion? Who can we hero? Um, you know, and then you think, you know, could we do customized content? Can we do augmented reality or AI or um, uh, virtual reality or whatever? And then you sort of go through this big list of, fan generated content. Can we, the sponsor, create a platform so that the fans can share things? They can share their stories. They can share, um, they can share videos and photos and reviews and stories and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, Molson was one of the best ones in the world at that Molson, Molson Brewing in Canada. And they sponsored a bunch of, uh, a bunch of ice hockey teams as, as you do when you're the biggest brewer in Canada. And, uh, and one of the things that's really peculiar about ice hockey fans, and I can say this because I'm from Minnesota, which is the original, like the ice hockey capital of America. And, uh, and, uh, and so I get it. I played ice hockey for years. And, and they basically said, all right, there's this weird thing. As soon as your team gets into the playoffs, the finals, everybody's got a grooming ritual, like everybody. So they just decided they were gonna create a Facebook page and like they could have done this with no budget and they could have done this in 24 hours. They created a Facebook page that they called the Molson Guide to Playoff Grooming. And they literally just invited people to upload pictures and stuff of their, their grooming things like only wear a red tie or, you know, grow the mustache or whatever. And the, the worst one was crazy. It was this guy that every time his team got into the playoffs, he got the team logo waxed into his back hair. And so... <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so this is, that's fan generated content. It's like, what, what can we champion and invite people to, to, um, to do? There was one, there was one where there was a team that just couldn't bloody win. Like it couldn't bloody win at all. It was just 
frustrating. And so one of the sponsors, rather than wringing their hands going, oh my God, our sponsorship isn't worth anything because we got a losing team. And it's like, instead, they just aligned with the fans and gave them a platform. They said, all right, imagine it's you giving the G up speech right before they take the ice. What would you tell them? Give us your, give us your best shot, you know, like give us some videos. And they had old biddies going, now you, young men, you just play your best. And the, there was people with like whiteboards and diagrams. <laughs> and it, was, it was crazy, but it, it actually said, we get it. It's frustrated. We're frustrated too. And so fan generated content is another really, really good area to explore, but it really is about kind of making yourself a process where you develop a lot of empathy and then you just open it up to any kind of creativity and you don't just do one thing at the end of that you vet it out and you go all right well we've got four different categories of people like in terms of the psychographic segmentation of people that care again with sports it's often with sports it's often passionates are are motivated by the team their love for the team itself tribals love the emotional up and down the roller coaster the like you know the rivalries and the cheering and the singing the song that's me that's me at the sydney swans i'm a tribal completely then there's the socials and they like start and end the day in a pub with their friends and somewhere in the middle is a game but it's not actually required to win or be a good game to have a great day and then you got the family matters people that use this as a weekly or bi-weekly way to like bond with the family and get the kids off the screens and so, you know, if you really understand all of those, uh, all of those things, the, the experience, why people care, and then sort of create ideas off the back of it and then think, okay, have we pushed the hot buttons of the tribals? Have we done something the tribals are going to like? Have we done something that the socials are going to like? I mean, and this is assuming that a, a sponsor is targeting all of them because some of the sponsors are going to only target like a subset, like just the family matters people, for instance. Um, but so you have a bunch of things that you do. And one of the things that's like, that's like I'm finding to be, I don't know, somewhere between annoying and distressing right now is that the, that sponsors seem to have gotten into this storytelling thing where they do one beautifully produced video, you know, that's very, sort of idealistic and stars in your eyes and all this kind of stuff and like you know tearjerker or whatever and then they call it a, a, a day it's like well we've done this beautiful story and that's it we're leveraged and it's like you know you haven't done anything for the fan experience nothing for the fan experience you haven't aligned with these people and and you have to do more you can't just do one big gesture and call it a day. Otherwise people will think you've only thought about them one time. So yeah, you got to do a bunch of stuff and you got to give yourself the latitude to think of a bunch of ideas. Wow. What a great response. Literally. I'm still getting Sorry, out. Of my, I'm I, still, I went on and on. I no, love this. I love sponsorship. No, I can tell. <laughs> I can totally tell. And I've still got the image of the guy with the hair of the logo of the back of his back. I've just got that vision in my head. It, it just shows the creativity relating to your answer, but Really quickly, just from your experience of 30 years, what are the don'ts, like literally the don'ts with regards to sponsorship that drive you mad, if that makes sense? In terms of, of people on the rights holder side, and this is like, and there are both sides of the equation do some things that are just ridiculous and counterproductive. But I will say that generally speaking, in terms of sophistication, sponsors are well ahead of most rights holders. 
And, uh, and so rights holders are just shooting themselves in the foot, right, left, and center. You know, if you've got a prospectus or you've got a gold, silver, bronze type of, uh, um, of sponsorship proposal, you're basically phoning it in. You've told a sponsor that you're either lazy or you don't care about what they want or you don't have the skills to be a good partner to them. And that's not good. So, um, you know, the, the thing that drives me crazy is after all these years of knowing that we need to customize proposals, that we need to include those kind of leverage ideas, like, you know, like I would just talked about with the sponsors, in proposals that there are still people out there that really should know better that are just you know lazy and playing it like a numbers game and uh you know i mean the people that don't know any better that's easy to educate but the people that do know better and are just keep doing it because it's the way you've always done it uh, that just drives me insane the other thing the other thing that drives me nuts in um sports sponsorship particularly are those ridiculous dinosaur era valuation reports where <laughs> these are the ones where they have some they have this amazing technology that then they use it to do the most stupidest possible thing like well your logo was on this telecast for um 13 minutes and your logo was half of your logo was visible on this telecast for another four minutes and so we're going to multiply that times the television um, rate at casual rates. And then that's what your valuation is of the sponsorship. And it's like, you know, we are literally 30 years now since the first huge academic study that came out that said that exposure of a logo and awareness of the sponsorship, neither one of those contributes in any way to changing perceptions or behaviors around a brand. And Changing perceptions and behaviors around a brand is what marketing is. So <laughs> it's like, and marketing isn't really all that complicated. I mean, do make it happen is complicated, but the actual thing that marketing does is changing perceptions and behaviors and, and logo um, exposure and even the people's ability to say a sponsor is a sponsor when they're asked the question, neither of those actually means that they've changed their vision about the sponsor or their behavior around it at all. So um, I wish people would stop spending on that. They, those reports used to be aimed at corporate sponsors and, and they're mostly now sold into rights holders with the pitch being sponsors need this information. They need it to make sure that, you know, they're getting the most out of you and you're not going to be able to sell it, you know, and re and renew it unless you have this information and sponsors look at that information and just roll their eyes. That has nothing to do with changing their objectives against their benchmarks. I mean, it's just useless. It sounds like your frustration relates to your point right from the beginning. It's all about connecting with the fans. Correct. Yeah. Just to clarify, just for the listeners, like I can just hear it in your voice, that, that side of things. Yeah. I mean, that whole, you know, that, that whole thing about amplifying the good stuff and, you know, aligning with them and championing them and telling their stories and all that kind of stuff. All of that goes to positioning a sponsor so that you are changing their perceptions and behaviors around the brand. And it has nothing to do with logos on television. I mean, you know, seriously, all of you out there in podcast land, do yourself a favor. Next time you're flipping channels and you see a telecast of a sporting event from someplace else, like 
someplace that's not the UK or someplace that's not Europe or whatever, like, you know, flip the channel and watch the Sydney Swans playing Aussie rules down here. And, and then just sit there for a few minutes and take in the logos. I mean, okay, now you're aware of all those brands. So, uh, you know, you're going to get yourself some Westpac? What do you think? You know, Westpac? You've seen the logo. I mean, literally, you have no context, no reason to think that it might be right for you. Westpac has never done anything for you, and Westpac is there in a sea of other logos, and you don't know any of them either. That's what logo exposure does for a brand. It just proves they exist. It says nothing. It doesn't change anything. Again, I hope people are taking notes. I get your point there, because you could be sitting in your seat, seeing the logo. Between you and the logo, there's no connection. That makes sense. So um, I hope people are taking notes because honestly, this is gold. And thank you so much for sharing, Kim. I love your enthusiasm. But now getting back to your career, what inspired you to set up power sponsorship? Like paint the picture. You've, you've done a few work with clients and well, your jobs, but what inspired you to set your own company? Um, well, the, interestingly enough, I mean, I, I'd been a consultant for a little while in America, but I've been in Australia for now 28 and a half years. And I was working for another company and I went overseas and came back and that company was basically failing. Didn't have a work visa yet. <laughs> and I had to figure out a way to, you know, stay in Australia and make money without somebody having to hire me because I didn't have the visa. I had, like I was in, I was transitioning to a work visa, but I didn't have it yet. And so I thought, well, I, I'm going to try to use the connections that I've made in my whole whopping year and a half here and uh, be a consultant. And, and I started out being skilled and read consulting. And then I eventually um, started doing workshops, which were called power sponsorship workshops. And then people just kept calling my company power sponsorship. So I just changed the name. It was, it was never meant to be power sponsorship. <laughs> it was, you know, if I, if I had started over, I would have just named it something really, really cool, but it kind of got named for me. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant name. Simple, easy to remember. So yeah, awesome. Could you just share to listeners what's on your website? Like I'm going to want people to check out your blog. There will be a link in the show notes, but please share your blog. It's brilliant. Okay. Oh, uh, so the, the website has a lot of stuff on it. I mean, you know, it has all the standard stuff about how you can work with me, consulting, training, coaching, et cetera, et cetera, some online training. But there's tons of stuff that's completely free and it's all about skilling up the industry and you don't have to sign up for anything. You just go and use it, you know, don't steal it. That would be a problem, but <laughs> go and use it. Um, so there is at last count 191 blogs and they're all how-to blogs. And I am rewriting every one of them. I'm about two-thirds of the way through now, updating every single one of them. There is, um, there's a bunch of white papers, including two really important white papers. Um, Last Generation Sponsorship Redux is a rewrite of like my seminal sort of this is best practice. This, this is a framework of best practice kind of white paper. And then disruptive sponsorship is about the really bleeding edge stuff about the meaning and the, you know, the dopamine. And I mean, all this kind of stuff that goes into, you know, changing the way people feel about the brand. And so it's sort of like the advanced version of, uh, of last generation sponsorship. There's also some downloadable templates. 
on there. And there's a whole set of uh, video tutorials. So there's like sponsorship proposal basics in about 15 minutes. And uh, which people complain about that name all the time, but too bad. <laughs> so. Well, I'm not complaining, but all I am going to say is there will be a link. And no worries. Again, over 190 blog posts. Oh my goodness, I'm going to be busy reading up. But look, just for people who love your vibe, can, can you just talk about your online training you mentioned earlier? Like, what is it if people want more information? Right. So I, I've got a brand new online training course. The one for sponsors is coming in about a month, but the one I've got right now that's finished is for rights holders. So people looking for sponsorship. And, and it's based on my very highly regarded um, in-person workshop or in-person training for rights holder called Getting to Yes. And it has more content, more pre-recorded video content than I can do in a day of training. So it's got about seven hours of video content. Um, and that includes tons of like pretend brainstorms. So you can actually see how all of these things go and you can actually see how you build out leverage ideas that you can use in proposals. And there's tons of ideas that have been sprinkled in there that are really the framework of them are exactly the kind of ideas that people want. So there's lots of ideas they can use and, uh, um, and repurpose. There's, you know, how to build a hit list and some samples of building hit lists and things like that. Um, they, uh, they also include um, monthly live ask me anything webinars with me. So you can ask anything you like. And, uh, and lots of downloadables and, you know, sort of worksheets and things like that. So that's now available. And so if anybody, you know, sort of wants to put a little bit of an investment into their future in, uh, in the, the rights holder side, uh, that would be, that would serve you really well. Awesome. Again, there'll be a link to the show notes on my blog post if you want more information. Kim, I've so much enjoyed your energy and this conversation, but out of interest, what have you enjoyed the most? From your sponsorship career looking back 30 years you know i mean there's a lot of things that i love and there are those kind of like amazing experiences like you know not everybody gets i got to throw out the first pitch at a minnesota twins spring training baseball game and at the beginning of the spring training i i was in a pillsbury doughboy costume but i got to do it <laughs> And, uh, and so, um, you know, I've been, I've been on the sidelines for amazing things happening. I've had hot laps in some of the fastest cars. Oh my God. And, and so there's that. But, but if I would say like, you know, the things that I miss the most and I have missed the most, I have to say, you know, with all the COVID lockdowns and, and right now we, we can only go to New Zealand right now and that's new. Um, is I miss the most is traveling and teaching sponsorship. I love building capacity and I love making the pennies drop and I love it. It's just the most gratifying part of my job. And I, I love planes and I love long haul planes because, well, you know, I definitely, I get to go business class. So what's not to real love about that? <laughs> Watch movies, drink cocktails, kick feet up. <laughs> Nobody calling you. It's lovely. <laughs> so, so yeah, I've managed to, you know, make this career has brought me to, oh, about 65 countries, I think now. So um, it's, it's done. A, it's done well for me. Wow. 
Again, I hope people are enjoying this conversation. And look, Kim, I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I like to finish with an inspirational question. Now, you've provided advice, you've provided tips, you've provided awesome sponsorship case studies. But for the listener listening in right now, what three tips would you give to them with regards to starting their sponsorship career journey right now, taking action related to your tips? What would they be? Okay, I would, I would throw yourself into into finding and reading and just, you know, hoovering up all of the real life information that you can get from people that are sponsorship practitioners. I mean, you can go through my website, but I've also got like a, a, um, a, uh, page on the website, which is other recommended resources, like, you know, really, really good blogs and really good podcasts and stuff that are specifically around sponsorship. Like from London there, I, I love the, um, unofficial partner, podcast is fantastic. It is hilarious and amazing. And he gets great people on there. So hoover up everything that you can get, because if you've got that real life kind of lens, then you'll know what is and isn't worth absorbing from your academic life, because sometimes you're going to get out of date, you know, information. And, and so you need to be able to filter that out and get what you're really going to use. The other thing is, as I said before, is, um, you know, do, do everything that you can to network right now, but be really prepared to live on starvation wages and work your fingers to the bone for a couple of years at the beginning of your career and know that it was, it's going to be worth it. That if you have any kind of talent for this and any kind of work ethic, it will be worth it. And, and the other thing that I would say is, um, you know, I mean, I, I'd love to say sort of look for a mentor, but I'm going to, I would end up with 15,000 people asking me to be their mentor. <laughs> and, and I'm just really sorry, but I don't have time to be very many people's mentor. <laughs> um, um, but I don't know. I don't even know what my, my third thing would be for people that are hunting for work in this, in this industry. I guess I, I, I would like to tell them to don't be afraid of being a contrarian. Like, don't be afraid of asking the, the deeper questions on things like to a, a professor, you know, you're telling us that, you know, the primary reason why somebody wants to do sponsorship is for the halo effect and for exposure. Well, what does that actually mean to the bottom line of their brand? Like, like dig every time, you know, something just doesn't, doesn't ring true. Just be a contrarian and, and like ask those bigger questions, the why questions, the how questions. And uh, because, you know, by asking those kind of questions, you're going to get, well, you're going to get more knowledge or you're going to be able to know that the information that you're getting isn't worth it. Like you're going to be able to sift the good information from the bad as soon as you start digging a little bit. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing those tips. I think there was like five there, but honestly, more the merrier. Kim, how can people interact with you on social media? Look, you can connect with me on um, LinkedIn. If you don't, if it's not obvious on your like profile bio or something like that, that you're in this industry, just like put one of those notes next to it saying I'm studying this or I listen to the podcast and then I'll say yes, because I don't, I don't connect with just everybody. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, 
Look, I do a little bit on a, my company Facebook page, but not really a lot. Twitter and LinkedIn are probably the better places to link, link in with me, so to speak. Awesome. To all the listeners listening in, all those links with Kim's course and information from our blog will be on my blog with regards to the show notes. Kim, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Lovely talking to you too. What an awesome podcast to be episode 250. Like, I am with bags of enthusiasm after listening to that. Kim just has this awesome energy. And really, this is just a perfect one to be episode 250. And couldn't be prouder because it's conversations like this that I hope you, the listener, and I mean you, um, that you benefit from it. Because there's so much from this conversation that resonated with me. Just going back to Kim's first experience getting involved in sponsorship, it really is as simple as putting yourself out there and just getting your hands dirty and taking action to create your own opportunities. And that's why I wanted this to be episode 250 because it give, like Kim provided you a really authentic and most importantly truthful understanding in what it takes to work in the sports industry not just sports sponsorship I mean any sector of the sports industry and another point which I've learned through the people I've interviewed and also have experienced myself I firmly believe there's this two-year period where you figure out exactly the area of the sports industry you end up specializing in that doesn't mean it takes you two years to get work experience no what I mean is it takes two years to really define what exactly you want to do in the area you want to specialize in, in a certain industry sector or in a particular role. But with regards to sports sponsorship, I hope you've got a better understanding in what it's all about. And it goes back to Kim's point. It's all about the fans. So if you want to work in this area of the sponsorship sector of the sports industry, I hope this podcast has supported you with regards to your sports career development because there were areas where Kim just over delivered provided gold of what it takes to have that real connection between you know the key stakeholder or a brand or the sports you know organization in how they use brands to make the engagement better for the fans itself. It's not about, as she said, being in those corporate boxes and seeing the big deals happen. It's how these deals influencing the fans in the stands who experience that real enjoyment aspect of not just watching the sport, but how that sport is connected to the brands to make their experience better on the day. That's what it's all about. And Kim just, as I said, just overloaded with golden nuggets of the truths of understanding your customer but from a fan experience perspective so look i hope you can put this podcast into practice today with regards to our career tips at the end particularly with regards to having the mentor and if you want more information about what kim does with regards to training there will be a link to a website and a and an amazing blog where you can take action and learn and learn more from her because she's just phenomenal and I love her energy. But put those career tips into practice today and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Kim said, ask those big questions, those why questions, those how questions. By asking those questions, you're going to get one more knowledge or two, you have the ability to see what good or bad knowledge is with regards to the decisions you make from the knowledge you gain.